So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com. Can I just tell you how much I love you? Mm-hmm. Do you do something wrong? So many things wrong. <laughs> Not shocking. So many things wrong. We are going to, for, I guess, uh, brevity this evening, Okay. we're going to skip the nursery rhymes. That's nice. I think our audience is thankful for that. There are going to be uh, breast references, though. Well, it wouldn't be an episode without them. I agree. So this is episode 26 of the So I Married an Alcoholic podcast. I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. And we are very, very pleased to introduce the one and only Mr. Brick James. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this. Our pleasure. Scared, but excited. (laughs) You should be. It's going to be okay, I promise. That's all right. I got the breast picture behind me. I'm good. That's right. The inspiration. (laughs) Exactly. It's like rubbing the Buddha. You know what I mean? (laughs) Is that what you do to Buddha? I see a marketing opportunity here. (laughs) You know, I just got to tell you, my mind went to now you could do like a 3D imaging of it and do a printing of it. Oh, my God. Having you sit on the middle of the table. Or like a stress ball. There's many. (laughs) A stress boob. (laughs) (laughs) You can milk them yourself. Actually, if you know anything about us or our sex life, you know if I have to do any of the work, it's just not worth it. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm sorry for you, Megan. I'm I really me am. too. I know. It's all there, in good fun. There, there, for, there's like replacements for you. You know that. <laughs> me or her? For you. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. They even sell on Amazon. I know. I know. Oh, no, I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> you know the old divorce saying, it's cheaper to keep her? In Megan's case, it's definitely cheaper to keep me. <laughs> definitely. I'm just saying. Divorce is expensive. Yeah. You're expensive here, though, too, so I'm not really sure. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I'm still trying to, you know. I'm, I'm working the numbers. We'll see how it turns out <laughs> at the end of the year. <laughs> we'll crunch the numbers. We'll get back to you in a later episode. <laughs> yeah. I promise. The bottom line. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. So, Britt James is with an organization called Philly Unknown. Is it the Philly Unknown Project? Philly Unknown Project is what it started as, and then just sort of abbreviated to Philly Unknown. I like it. Yeah. Um, but before we get into the actual organization itself, why don't you give us a little bit of background about you, where you grew up, how you ended up, I guess, traveling the road that you traveled? Oh, geez. That's a long road. Um we have time. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, my name is actually uh, Brick Carpenter, which a lot of people um, just know me. I go by Brick James because a lot of people then realize that it's a man's name and not ah, a female's name. Smart. So I have to really sign a lot of my things, Brick James Carpenter. I actually never even thought about that. Yeah, it's Maybe amazing. it's because I'm just simple. Well, probably because you knew me first and knew that, saw the picture. You know, you see yeah, a picture of me, and you know, know, and you wouldn't That's think. True. But it's like last week I had a phone call, um, and the person called me, and I heard her say, is Britt there? <laughs> and we had never chatted before. I'm like, this is Britt. At the end of the call, I said, were you expecting a female? She's like, I might have been. Yeah. You know, so, um, but um, I'm Britt Carpenter. I was born and raised in the Allentown area, uh, and um, I have been in Philly for the last 16 years of my life, and I have traveled a long crazy road to get there but I um I'm a I'm in recovery uh from 
everything from alcohol to heroin. So, and heroin was my downfall, but I am a person in recovery for the last six years and every single day for the rest of my life. So it's quite the commitment, right? It's a hell of a commitment. Some days much, much easier than others. And prior to us starting, I told you how much I love commitment. So this has been one of the most messed up relationships I've ever had. So I don't know. I never know where you're going. It's terrifying every time. No, I agree with that. It, you know what? If this is your only successful or committed relationship that you that do matters. not have to pick yeah. up for the rest of your life, like that's a good life, man, right? And I'm focused on it and I'm okay with it because... That's the hardest part about it for me. You know, it's hard enough to commit to other people, let alone to myself. Yes. Yeah. So seeing myself through it is the hardest part of it all. So I Absolutely. get it. Absolutely. Yeah. And we could be, you know, definitely our biggest advocates. We can also be our biggest critics. And I think the the real challenges, if you will, come from those days where we are being our biggest critic. Because I will catch a quick case of the fuckets, mm -hmm. and that leads us nowhere good, you know? I get them quite often. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. You know, sometimes they pass pass by every now and again throughout the day, too, you know? Yeah. Oh, no question. Then an hour goes by, you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> so the, the long road, if you will. Yes. Uh, the road... Less traveled, although I think these days it's it's a little more common that you run into people that are like yourself and myself and Megan. Tell us that journey from A to Z, if you will. And you can be as specific sure. or as vague as you'd like. Um, you know, I think, honestly, if, you know, when I look back at it, I probably, right when I started college, I was, uh, I was, I was actually a, a good kid growing up. I mm -hmm. was a good student. I was a good kid. I didn't really, you know, break, you know, rules of the house. I did what I had to. I was terrified of my dad, you know, yeah. so I didn't. But then I went to college and all hell broke loose, mm -hmm. you know, and I discovered things such as vodka and grain punch and cocaine and mm -hmm. marijuana. And I discovered, wow, what a great life for a 17 year old as I got to college. And so I, you know, um, I started then and was sort of, I always just said social. You know, and then as I graduated and I noticed that there was a pattern, you know, an everyday pattern in what I was doing and what I thought was recreational or what I thought was just, you know, occasional became daily. And right. then it progressed to other things and harder things and stronger. And then uh, 20 years ago, I was in a really bad car accident. And when I was in that car accident, I broke my shoulder in five places. Oh my God. Yeah, shattered it. Shattered. It was my right shoulder, shattered in five places. Um, but the best part about it is I got out of the car and I was like, I think I need to go to the hospital because I was so messed up already when it happened mm. um, from being whatever we were doing prior to. And I was introduced more into um, a ton of, you know, pain pills. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, a ton of benzos and everything to balance me out. And from there, it was just a downward spiral. And, a fight every single day to, you know, figure out if I was going to make it or not. And yeah, so that's sort of where it got to. And then it progressed to larger things like heroin, mm -hmm. you know, and it's funny because I was always one of those persons that always said, that's not going to be me. Oh, yeah. You know, that's not me. Well, you know, I realize now I never point that finger and say that because that was me. It always it always was. It just finally came out. And then that, you know sort of was a major part of my world for many years and that's all I cared about and 
I saw the destruction it did to myself, to the, my business, to my family, my friends and everything. And, um, you know, so here we are now today. And that's the long of the, that's the short of the long road. I like it. You know? I like I, it. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to expand on some of that a little bit. So you had, obviously, like you said, you were in a car wreck right. and you were in some major pain. Yeah. And whoever your doctors were deemed that your injuries were appropriate for opiates. Well, th- I, this is this this is even uh, more ironic the story because prior to the car accident, like a month prior to the car accident, a friend of mine, his wife had ACL surgery, and mm. they lived around the corner from me. And I went over there one day to to see them. I don't even know why. What the reasoning was? I probably to have a beer and uh, you know go around the corner and. She's like, you know, I can't take these pills because they make my stomach ill. Interestingly enough, I can. I was like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, really? I'm like, exactly. You know, she gave me this bag, uh, like a, a, one of those Ziploc storage bags filled with pills. Like, and I always describe it, it looks like a Pez dispenser threw up in it. Yeah. A Pez dispenser of like everything from, you know, opiates to benzos in there. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And I had this bag and, I would just sort of sit there and use this bag as my my little uh, smorgasbord at night of pills. And then from there, it just progressed into harder and harder things. But I was getting prescriptions left and right from all different doctors. And that was those were that was back in the day, correct oh, me yeah. if I'm wrong, where you could pharmacy shop or doctor shop or whatever. It's only relatively it. recently that the registry is kind of come up. I mean, I can't I should look up that I should know. I'm a nurse practitioner, so I actually prescribe narcotics. So I, it's only recently that we have to check. There was no registry before. There was none. No, nope. you had no idea. It, we, I took your word for it when your last prescription was filled. Well, and it's funny you say that because you know this was two thousand one. Mm-hmm. So I was getting a prescription from one doctor and then a prescription from another doctor. Yes. And I actually was called out by a pharmacy back then, and I remember it was the the doctor was like, "This is too soon. You just had one filled yesterday." So I had to go to like this new pharmacy that I knew wasn't going to do it. But you're right. You had a pharmacy shop. You had to just go, you know, take your prescription to different pharmacies. But I was called out one time in all those years. And you're talking about major amounts of, you know, prescriptions that were written for me. Because they didn't pull before into a national thing. Now it, you know, pulls. So every script from every pharmacy that's ever filled goes into a database. Right. But that's, I'm telling you, recent. Very recent. So the first time you took that that Percocet or that opiate, it it was recreationally. What did that feel like to you? It was it like something that you just did because you were bored? Was it something because you were feeling some sort of way? You know, it's funny when you say that because like I often think about it and I often think about why and I think why did I do it? Because all I knew it was going to do was going to make me feel some type of way that was not normal. Mm-hmm. It was going to make me feel some type of way that wasn't myself so i think for me because i've always been trying to escape myself that was a great thing to do so taking that pill i mean one of the first times i ever took you know a narcotic of any type um i think i liked the fact of it because it made me more relaxed it took away an edge Mm -hmm. it took away that you know self-diagnosed add h you know dd Mm -hmm. all that right and um i liked it because i wasn't feeling that pain, um, not physical, but mental pain mm-hmm. that I was feeling when I took it, you know, before I took it. So it was a good escape. 
Right. You know, so when you find that good escape, you're going to stick with that good escape because it feels so good. So, yeah, I do remember that. And I used to actually be a uh, motivational speaker. Oh, wow. For, yeah, for a career in technical colleges where I used to go around and recruit like high school students and through motivational speeches. I used to always nice. tell the story that during the middle of my speeches, you never know what would be in my pocket and I'd be popping it in my mouth as I'm giving the speeches. So wow. whether it would be like a Zanny or whether it would be like a perk, I would, it didn't really matter. You could go up, you could go down, you could go any number of directions. Mm-hmm. Yep. But as, as far as you knew, that was a killer speech. You Absolutely. Shit sure. Absolutely. And I brought a hell of a lot of leads back for my boss. So I was happy. It didn't matter yes. how I got there. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I, I mean, it became such a, everyday thing you know it just became so convenient to do every day right because hey you know if i didn't have to feel crappy or feel myself that was great Mm -hmm. you know if i felt anything but myself you know or who i was right that was a that was a positive for me i I can totally relate yeah we talk about that a lot like it's all about getting out of self whatever it is that we used uh or still use to this day even though we don't use substances you know we still Find a way to get out of self, you know, and not always, you know, much healthier, but not necessarily healthy manners. Correct. Yeah. We, we can be alcoholic about anything. Those those activities still come with consequences, be it financial or emotional or... The fact that I can't stand you at the end of the day. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> I think that's just called marriage. I was going to say that, but since I, I have no room to say that, you know. Oh, no, you I'm, have carte blanche. No, I have nothing. You know, are you kidding? You're talking to the guy who's terrified of commitment. Hasn't been in a relationship in 20 years. My longest committed relationship was, you know, drugs. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it worked. Um, Absolutely. But now I... Um, I, I uh, yeah, I have no room to talk with relationships. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> we'll have you back on right around this time next year when, when we transition this from a uh, podcast about drugs and alcohol to marriage success or lack thereof. Oh, lack thereof. <laughs> or lack thereof. Jury's still out. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it before daylight savings, though. Yeah, it's so <laughs> It's depressing. It's horrible. It, that's what I say. This is the time of year where, like, you know, five o'clock rolls around, like I'm going to bed. Yeah. You know, I don't right. want to leave my house. No. I actually so rush sad. to get home. Like, I want to be home. Like, I feel yeah. like, okay, the streetlights are going on. I want to be home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When the streetlights come on, if you're not home, you are in big trouble. There we go. There's that trauma. I blame my parents. <laughs> he loves throwing everyone under the bus. I have daddy issues, mommy issues. <laughs> oh, yeah. All kinds of issues. But again, that's a different podcast. Wow, we have a, we have a lot of spinoffs of this. Yeah. We, yeah. Notate like this. This we is good stuff. We have a whole franchise. <laughs> could go in a whole different direction. Yeah. So after you took that first opiate, how long? was it before the drugs controlled you versus you controlling the drug what what was that time frame like or when it went from recreational to a maintenance program you know i think i think it actually started a little bit before the first well it all coincided together Mm. the pills the coke everything coincided together i really like to think that it was probably right from the very beginning that it took over because I didn't stop. Okay. So I'd have to say that it was, yeah. you know, day one. You know, because if it wasn't day one, I wouldn't be able to control it. Right. I wasn't able to control myself. And I was okay with that. I was okay with being a live wire. I was okay with being a ticking time bomb every single day of my life. That was sort of like the norm for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it 
it didn't take long. It, you know, I would say I identified, you know, as far back even probably before the car accident because I was doing, you know, recreational before then. But you think about it as recreational, something you do occasionally or every day. If you're doing it closely every day, it's not recreational anymore. Well, it's so funny. You talked about even like how you drank and stuff in college. Mm-hmm. And like I used to say that too, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I was a party girl in college, but mm-hmm. that's fine. So was everyone else. But actually, even in college, not everyone drank like I drank. You know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. Even though, yes, there's a drinking culture, my drinking was next level, even then. And then it didn't stop when I graduated. You know, it continued to progress. So, you know, it's interesting when people say, you know, the drunk girl at the party and, well, that's normal, though. You grow out of it. I I think there's a difference. I almost think we know back then, you know, even though Hmm. other people are doing the same behavior. It wasn't really. I could blend better, but I was definitely an alcoholic, even just as a sorority girl. You know, you pick. Yeah, you pick it out. You you, you know that about yourself. Uh-huh. You recognize those differences. It's like, oh, you know, he can get really wasted and trash. But the way I'm doing it is totally not a different level. D- yeah. Next Total level. different level. Yeah. Next level. Yep. And then the next day I see that person sort of walk around fine. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go grab another vodka. A hundred percent. Exactly. Yep. So, it, it, yeah, it's how you. There's a mind space, you know, it's, it's a mind, it's a mentality. It's how you process it. Yeah, totally. Tell us a little bit about one of your darkest moments. It may not be like your aha moment, just like one of those days when you were like, you know what, I'm going to jump off a fucking bridge. I've this had enough. This has to end, yeah. Oh, that's easy. That was between 1985 and, <laughs> to, and 2015. Um, but no, the darkest, I will be honest with you, when I really look back at it, it was um, I had it overdosed in my car. Mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure. And, you know, it's something that's like probably like my least proud moment of my life. But I was driving. I remember I was with the person that I was always using with. Um, and that person had gotten out of my car. I turned the corner. And the next thing I know, I'm waking up on the sidewalk with my car parked against the building to police and paramedics standing over me. And with that, they woke me up. I had no idea what was going on. They explained to me what had happened. Mm. They said, do you want to go to the hospital? I said, oh, no, I'm good, thinking, you know, this is it. I'm going to go home. Yeah. Next thing I know, I'm in jail. Oh, shit. And I'm in jail um, right after an overdose, coming down, <sighs> withdrawing in a jail cell, laying on a floor next to a toilet with my jacket as a pillow. Ugh. And I'm laying there, and I'm saying to myself, this isn't who I am. This isn't what I signed up for. This mm. isn't the life that I was supposed to be leading. And that was January of 2015. It was an almost a 10-month battle from that day to the day I became or that I went sober. Yeah. Um, and another two overdoses in that period. Wow. So that day was probably the darkest because I was locked up. I had no communication with anybody I had a search party out looking for me that night, you know, of people who just were terrified to figure out what, what might have happened to me, mm-hmm. knowing that I passed out behind the wheel of my car or overdosed behind the wheel of my car, and luckily that I didn't kill myself or mm-hmm. somebody else, Yeah, you know, and that that one night in jail was just one night in jail, and, not, and that's when I knew there was an issue, and that was probably something that today still bothers me. It's still something that I can't get over. Even when I talk about it in in group or in a meeting or to friends, it doesn't feel like I'm, you know, it's releasing. It still feels like I'm harboring because it's like, I can't believe I did that. You know, that's not something that I would ever, you know, I would frown on that. 
You know, that's something yeah. I would be looking down upon. And mm. here I was breaking all those rules of what I thought was right. Right. So, yeah, that was really bad for me. Really bad. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you said it took you another 10 months mm -hmm. from that night. Mm -hmm. So from the night that you ended up in jail after you had overdosed mm -hmm. to 10 months later, what changed? I started an IOP program because when I got out of jail, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to get a lawyer. I'm going to have to go in front of a judge. Hey, you know, do the right thing, mm -hmm. you know, get into an IOP, yeah. you know, show you're working something because it's going to look good for the court. That's how I got to rehab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to save my own ass. I was exactly. like, oh, let's be proactive. Right? Yeah. And you, 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 you think about like, oh, and all of a sudden, well, once again, I think that comes back to the, um, you know, the mentality of, a, of an addict of manipulation, too. Yeah. You know, because mm -hmm. now I'm going to manipulate the system. I'm going to show that I'm okay. I'm doing better. Right. You know, I'm doing mm -hmm. IOP. So I went to an IOP. I connected really well with my IOP group, my IOP group leader, and they introduced me to Vivitrol. Oh, oh, great yeah. drug. It, amazing. It amazing. is. And it was, I was like doing it back in the day when there weren't many doctors doing that we're it. Giving up. And yeah. super expensive, by the way. Very expensive. Yeah. Back then, I was, I, even with insurance, I was paying $110 a shot, is That's a little a pricey. Hefty yeah. Once yeah. a month. Exactly. Once a month. But then what had happened was I realized that, like, I can manipulate the Vivitrol mm -hmm. because three days before I go from next shot, you know, I know you that I can break. have that break and Get that window. So, you know, it took me that time because like I was one of those people who never wanted to admit that I had a problem. And the last thing I wanted to do was like let people know that I was in recovery because that's a that, then I'm weak, of you course. know, in my own yeah. mind and other people's minds that aren't in recovery. And plus, I was scared to shit to lead a lifestyle that was sober. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know it. And. So I, it took me those 10 months to fight with myself and to meet some really good people who got me from A to B. And it's, it's truly all about who you surround yourself with. Like before we started doing the show tonight, and obviously Megan knows this story, I was talking to you about how I was lucky enough to go to a recovery house in Bucks County. And it happened to just be like all of the stars lined up because I got into a great program and I got into a pro or a house with a bunch of amazing guys that would not let me just completely bullshit, not only myself, but them. And that was a game changer for me, you know? Yeah, the accountability. And we were all, I, th I think anybody in recovery knows, it, I don't care how far removed you are from that drug or that drink, like you're scared shitless when you enter recovery. Because you have to change quite literally every aspect of your life, of who you are. And to undergo that sort of fundamental change, in a lot of senses, it has to be overnight because if it's not overnight, you're going to continue those same behaviors, you know? That's like scary as shit. Oh, yeah. I remember um, going to IOP. I was uh, one of the people in IOP with me. He's actually pretty – his name is pretty well known nowadays in, in the recovery world around here. And um, he and I became really close friends and really tight. And he held me really accountable. And the funny thing is, is like – I remember on the bus going to IOP, I had told him that I had I had uh, relapsed that weekend mm -hmm. and confiding in him. Yeah. And I remember sitting in a group. He threw me under the bus, oh. brought it up in bus. He's like, hey, he's like, Britt has something to tell everybody. Oh. And I was like, really? And then I was really bitter and mad towards him. But then I realized, no, he was holding me accountable mm -hmm. in a group that was so honest of – Strangers that I knew nothing about other than the fact that we were joined together because we all have 
the same disease. Right. Yeah. You know? So, you know, I, I, it took me a while to accept the help or to recognize that there was support other than the drugs and the alcohol. Yeah. You yeah. know? And there were people who were doing it for my own good. Yes. You know? So there, there was a lot of learning curves along the way for me. Absolutely. You know, there still are. Every day I wake up, there's a learning curve. <laughs> you yeah, bet. Isn't that the truth? And this is a question that, well, any guests that we have on that's, you know, lived the life that we have lived for X amount of years, I always ask this question. So knowing where you are today and even all of that, the pain that you caused and the anguish and the friends that you may or may not have lost and the legal trouble you got in, the emotional pain, what have you, if you knew that in 2001, you would end up where you are today if you traveled this path. Would you still do it? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I probably, I think because of my situation, my circumstances back then, the fact that, you know, I always just suffered from low self-esteem, but, you know, you give me, you know, a pill or a beer and I was invincible, you know, I was mm. more so give me vodka or tequila and I was invincible and, you know, but um, probably, I probably would, I think because I believe this is, the path that I was led on for a purpose, for a reason, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, you know, when I look at the spiritual side of it, like, you know, there's a reason I'm here at the stage I'm at now. And right. that didn't happen 10 years ago. And it didn't happen 15 years ago that it took me all those years to get to where I'm at. So yeah, I, I, I probably would. Then again, I'm a glutton for punishment. You know? Yeah. Who is it? Exactly. Because you know why? Because I would say back then, the same thing I said, not going to happen to me. Right. I can yeah. control this. It won't control me. Mm -hmm. And that was it. 20 years later and a team of legal beagles. And probably, <laughs> you know, a, uh, you know, probably a half a million dollar home I could have purchased, you know, yeah. how many years ago. And that's what I'm saying. The cars and everything. But I don't look at that anymore. I look at the where I'm at, you know, how happy I'm at this point or unhappy. And what, what am I going to do from here on out? Yeah. You know, and I have to look at that. Mm -hmm. It humbled me a lot. I mean, it humbled me a lot when I got into recovery. It was such a humbling experience. It was truly humbling, and it blew me away because I always wanted to, like, be somebody I wasn't and show off in a way I shouldn't have, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when I went into recovery, it was, like, all of a sudden, like, wow. Like, who are you, dude? You know? Is this the real you? And if so, I like it. That's actually a great question. You know? Yeah. Like, who are you? Yeah. And, and I think that that's a question that, I, again, even a couple of years into recovery, like I still have to ask myself that on a daily basis to remind myself. It's so funny. Uh, yeah, as we're talking about this, and Chris and I, we concur. We always say we would have gone through all the shit to get where we are now. Um, but I, I think that's actually like, that's my answer. I don't know if I would have ever been an authentic person if I didn't go through everything that I went through to get here. Like we live a different quality of light I, I don't know how to describe it but oh, like, no your first husband was like money out the ass rich we do live a very different quality of life very but I was very inauthentic then you know what I mean so like I don't know if I would have gotten to I think the the authenticity place that sobriety gives you after going through all that shit I think that's a gift. That's the realness. Yeah. yeah it's just, it puts things in a different perspective and sometimes that's good sometimes that's bad but I think a, a change of perspective, if you will, if you could sum up like what it's like to live in recovery, I think change of perspective is actually a pretty good phrase to associate with that. You realize what matters. Yes. Yeah. 
And perspective is something that people don't talk about in recovery as much as they should yeah. because it's such a huge part of the way you're going to live your life. Yep. It's your perspective. It's what you're focused on. It's what you believe. And people don't really look at that sometimes because now you're like, okay, I got this support system and I have a – but like, still you have to like – Look inside first. And if you don't have that introspect, that perspective is never going to come out, if that makes sense at all. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer in perspective and always coming up with it. You know, every day my perspective is different, though. You know, and that's a mindset. Yeah. It's a mindset, too. So, but yeah, I love it. Love when you talk about perspective. I could talk about perspective all day long. (laughs) I like that. All right, let's change gears. Tell us a little bit about, before we get into the Philly Unknown organization, the heart of where you guys or where that organization works is an area of Philadelphia, an old neighborhood called Kensington. So for the listeners out there who have not quite literally YouTubed Kensington, describe that area to us. Uh, well, you're, you're talking about one of the, an area that was a neighborhood that was so family oriented and geared yeah. for many, many years and generations that became, you know, it was it was probably, you know, it was a blue collared neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, as a lot, you know, in that within the north to northeast in northwest regions are it, you know, housed a lot of people um, that may not have, you know, well, it, look at it this way. They didn't live in Rittenhouse. They lived in Kensington. You know, yeah. there's a different economically, you know, status that you're you're looking at there. And, so, and for those of you that don't know, uh, Rittenhouse in Philadelphia, Rittenhouse Square, is, uh, is it fair to call it like the Rodeo Drive of Philadelphia? It's bougie. It's yeah. bougie. It's bougie. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. I like that. Uh, I really hope none of my yeah. walking, dog walking clients hear that. But yeah, it's bougie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's quite lovely. Um, I love all my clients in Rittenhouse, but yeah. yeah. I love a good lunch in Rittenhouse. Disclaimer. Um, yes, yeah. exactly. Sorry, folks. Yeah, it's all, yeah but... Um, Kensington uh, then became uh, very well known for it was a, a largest open air drug trade in the country yeah. at one point in time, and it was really focused around the crack ep- epidemic back in the you know seventies into the eighties. So we're going back 40, 45, 50 Oh years yeah, this ago. is this is nothing. Yeah, this isn't anything that just all of a sudden transpired in the past ten years. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the nineties rolled around, and then you know it became more of. Oh, wow, look at this. There's this new drug, not a new drug, but there's a drug out there called heroin that's cheaper than most things, and we could just really make a profit off of that. So the dealers just decided that heroin was going to start overrunning the streets there, and now that's what it is. It's the largest open-air drug trade on the East Coast. Heroin is its number one um, product being sold over there. I'd like to say it's not heroin, though. It's fentanyl. I was just going to say, it's not even heroin anymore. Yeah, it's not heroin. It's fentanyl. I mean, let's face it, uh... That's what it was when I overdosed. They were fent- it was fentanyl. And that was several that was, years ago. Yes. That was five years, five, yeah. Well, no, even longer now, yeah. And fentanyl's actually in, they're putting it in everything. Yes. That's it. You you tell the story, Chris, at one point um, when you were in a rehab and you had tested positive for fentanyl and you're like, no, I don't do heroin. I'm not that guy. I'm just pills. And they're like, well, did you get them at the pharmacy? I was you like, know what no. I mean? Yeah, that's fentanyl too. And I mean, it was a quick transition then for you when you're like, well, I guess I'm already doing it. Might as well continue. But Not to mention it's a fraction of the cost. Yes. It, it really is. And I think that's what people don't realize. Fentanyl was yes. really used, you know, for a lot of pain medication. Yeah. I mean, there was a patch that they used to use, a fentanyl patch. And that's... These are good drugs for good for purpose good, that when, are abused. I, yes. will, I mean, I think that's with, you know, when you have 
a drug that is regulated yes. by the FDA. There's a reason for uh, it. Of course. You know, so it's for a good purpose, you know, but, you know, it just becomes in the hands of the wrong people and it becomes a cheaper commodity and look what happens, you know. But yeah. fentanyl is, you know, that's, that, that, that's what's killing people. It is, I mean, it's fentanyl is used for anesthesia. Right. Like, that's a kind of pain medicine. It's supposed to just you know? knock you out. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. supposed to be, like, in hospital only, not for street use. Right. And I've never heard of that term before. What? Not for street use. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've ignored it. Like, I'm that asshole that's like, well, if the FDA says it's okay, <laughs> that means I can snort it. <laughs> I was, listen, <laughs> you're... I, I do. Do you remember the Suboxone pills? <laughs> I do yes. remember that. <laughs> you know? Yep. <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, Kensington is now just um, an area that is, uh, it's suffering um, because the city itself has let, when I say the city, the the officials of the city has have let the area become overrun with um, people living on the streets, yeah. people experiencing mm-hmm. homelessness. People who are transient that come there to pick up from, you know, one of the dealers and then never leave because it's such an easy place to stay. You know, when you got it on any corner, why would you leave? Right. So now you're looking at a place that not only has the city forgotten about a neighborhood, they forgot about it. And they said, you know what? We're just going to let everybody fight it out there. We're going to let it be a war zone on its own. And that's sort of what Kensington has become. It's become a war zone. And it's sad because there's families out there. There's people who were born and raised there. There's people who, hey, let's face it, we all live where we really can afford. And if yeah. we don't, we're going to sometime or another because sure. we live above our means. Yeah. But, you know, people in Kensington, that's what they can afford. You know, people always say, well, they can leave. No, how can you say that? You know, that's like you saying, I don't like where I'm living now. Well, you can leave. There's a nicer place, but I'm living where I can afford it. Right. Exactly. What's the means are Right. Yes. So, you know, you're looking at there's people over there that are long-term residents that are, have families, and um, it, it's it's pretty sad. It's sad to see the way the streets are. It's sad to see what's happened, you know, and I've seen it change on different levels because I've seen it as I was a person who was over there trying to score on a daily basis sure. and now as a person that's over there trying to do good and make it better on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it, it's sad. If anybody has not seen Kensington on YouTube, I'm not quite sure what you've been doing because everybody has seen it on yeah. YouTube somewhere. Exactly. But check it out. I mean, there's, you know, there's so much that you can learn and there's also so much exploitation though out there on it. Mm. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that's Kensington in a nutshell. And it, it's down the street. I think that's what people forget. You know, Rittenhouse is not that far. It's, it's that whole nimbyism. It's yes. in your backyard, whether exactly. you want to think it's not in your backyard or not. It is. I mean, I don't live in Kensington. I live in the Maniunk Roxborough area. Yeah. From my door to the door of the nonprofit office is four miles. Right. That's, That's nothing. not far. Not far yeah. at all. We're not talking you know, a different country. We're right. talking like you could ride a bike there. Absolutely. And people do. And yeah. they walk and they do it however else they can By get By any there. means necessary. Absolutely. Truly. Yep. So, yeah. So that's, you know, Kensington is a, uh, and it's sad because Kensington could be a, just like the rest, you know, a really great neighborhood. Yeah. And it is a great neighborhood. It just, it needs some tender love and care. I'd, I liken it kind of like to, and this may be a really shitty uh, comparison, but the people that we were in active addiction versus the people that we could or have become. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a good person in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. You do some shitty things to maintain the habit and maintain the lifestyle. And same thing with Kensington. I mean, I think Kensington, some of the the architecture and some of oh, those yeah. buildings are hundreds and hundreds of years old and they are truly one of a kind. But if you literally take your eyes off the building and you see what's going on at street level, it's actually like mortifying. Well, and it's hard to really see the beauty of it when that's all you see at street level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Street level is, you know, it's, you know, it's it's over it's overpopulated with people who are, you know, living with substance use disorder. You know, you see you see people injecting as you're driving down the avenue. It's not hidden; it's in plain sight. Yeah. Right. This isn't anything, you know, that that you know they're trying to hide and you know you have police walking by this driving by this you have it's sad it is sad. it's sad you're almost trying to figure out what's where do they what does it fit into the whole big scheme of it what is the whole plan there yeah you know right so but yeah so kensington is and it, and it holds a place dear to me because of the fact that i spent so many years running those streets trying to score you mm-hmm. know and to fuel my addiction that I met families, I met like, you know, caring people who wanted to help me or like, what are you doing out here? You shouldn't be out here. Or So like I thought to myself, you know, this is a good place to give back to. And that's what I did, you know. So I- so interestingly enough, you, you know, you said give back. There's a lot of people that, you know, are like, I'm going to give back. I'm going to I'm going to donate to the Kennedy Center or I'm going to, you know, start this full philanthropical. Very good. That's good. Fucking yeah. project. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> but there are. Come on, Worcester. You got this. <laughs> <laughs> there are those that, you know, talk and sit around the campfire and twiddle their thumbs. And then there are those that do. And you are obviously one of those that do. So you came up with this idea one day called the Philly Unknown Project. Tell us about that. What does it do? Um, Philly Unknown uh, is a nonprofit that works closely with people who are um, experiencing life issues, whether it's something that deals with homelessness, it deals with substance use disorder, mental health, whether you're living behind doors that doesn't, you may not have electricity, you may not have food. We work with people on all different levels. So we work with community that is in need, basically what we say. But we work with them, we do boots on the ground outreach, we uh, work with them to get them the supplies that they need to make life better for one more day. We have initiatives that we have like a, a community garden we're starting so we could teach about healing through gardening and um, being able to provide sustainable living for the community and show people how that they can have a green space even if it's in the middle of what can be known as the biggest war zone in the city. Mm-hmm. You know, so we do that. Uh, there's a lot of things. Philly Unknown works with community. It wants to Make things better block by block is what I always say. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if you could focus on that and you make, you know, you change the life of one person or you make life different for somebody else and you move on, that's all it's all about, you know, so which yeah. we try to do. What's the web web page? What's the what's the contact info? And oh. let's talk about like ways to donate, uh, how to get involved, things like that. Well, um, Philly Unknown is uh, phillyunknownproject.org is our website. And that's all one word, phillyunknownproject.org. Yep, phillyunknownproject.org is the website. Uh, We did have an Instagram page that had like 42,000 followers. It got hacked. 
Holy shit. You know, but, you know, it got hacked the same time my original Facebook account, like the one I have now is a new one. Yeah. The original one got hacked, too, at the same time. So I blame Zuck and his meta for all this stuff. But uh, We blame them a lot. uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Zuck meta. But, uh, you know... (laughs) It, it just depends on what suits them and what doesn't suit exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> but we do have a an inst- a new Instagram page, which is Philly Unknown Project. And we have a Facebook page, which is Philly Unknown. People can donate in several different ways. We have an Amazon wish list, oh, which I we like have. that. Well, it's it's really cool Brilliant. because. Well, you think about it. You know, you know, you talk about people being philanthropic, you know, and. Those people that have the money don't mind. Here's you know this or here's that. And by the way, the people out there are philanthropic. Give me a call because we could use those people. You know, yeah. and it's Philly Unknown Project, Project. org. You so rich continue plugging. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're good free advertising. Fuck right. the Kennedy Center. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We do take checks. Um, we'll Venmo and people. PayPal. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> since, since you do take checks, what's the mailing address if you don't mind? <laughs> I'm afraid to do that because my van was stolen from oh. our, our, our nonprofit van was stolen from outside my place. Are you shitting me? Not at, at the least bit. Three years I had that van parked there and it was gone one day. It was gone. It, you know, I, I look at that though as like, yeah. once again, one more barrier that I had to work through to get to where I'm at. And, you know, I, I've survived a lot worse and one more test that I'm being put through by, by you know, higher power. And yeah, I look totally. at that stuff and then I wake up the next morning and I'm like, fuck, it really was stolen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You're like, I fuck wrote this test, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I walk, it's been since August and I walk by the spot there it was. And I still think it's going to be returned. Like Aww. somebody's out for a joyride. Aww. They're going to return it, you know? Yeah. And they have it. But, um, you know, um, we, we take donations from Amazon Wishlist because... There's a lot of people who want to see where yeah. where their donations are going. Mm-hmm. And that's a real tangible way for people to get us the outreach supplies we I need. I love that. That I don't have to go out and buy them. I just put on there what I need. It gets sent to us. And um, it gets um, distributed on the streets then. And that's the way we get most of our outreach done is through the Amazon wish list. And then we have, um, like I said, we have our, our donation pages. You know, if you get onto the Philly Unknown page on Facebook, and where you get onto the Philly Unknown uh, page on Instagram under our link tree, you'll see the donation pages on there for Venmo and PayPal because we could always use that. Yeah. Because um, we do have a hub of operations that we pay rent for. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a 13,000 square foot community garden that we pay rent on. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. You know right what in the heart I, of Kensington. I love that. You know what I love about that? It. It's telling those people like that they're worth it. Does that make sense? Like that's what it says to me. Like you're actually worth working with, building something beautiful for. You know what I mean? Like that's that's huge. You know, like yes, the care bags, the socks, like all those things are so important. But that's like I don't know. To me, that gives people self worth, and that's like invaluable. Well, and that's it. That's why we want to do it. We want to give them a little bit of hope. Yeah. We want them to know that people believe in them. Exactly. You know, whether you're a resident behind the doors or you're walking by on the street because that's where you're living, mm-hmm. we're all the same at the end of the day. Exactly. You know, so we want people to be able to come. We want to bridge those gaps so people learn about each other, bring awareness. You know, empathy is such a hard thing for people to, like, understand. Well, to understand. Empathy is hard yeah. for people. Yeah. You know, but it's one of the most powerful weapons that they can, they can use is empathy. You know, having that, arm yourself with it. So, you know, we do a lot of that, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. Philly Unknown has been 
Failure unknown is what saved my life. If people, you know, peel the layers back, I often say that I started it because after the first or the second overdose, I said, if I'm able to break this, if I can go 30 days without the Vivitrol, whatever, all that, I'm going to start this place in, in the community for people who have a place where they feel wanted, where they yeah. belong. Nobody's going to look at you or judge you for your background. And I started it on the community level with a group of photographers, actually. Really? Yeah, because yeah, cool. Instagram was all about photography. Sure. And, mm. you know, I was, like, loving the pictures. And I loved, you know, photography and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden I presented to him, this is, you know, really what I want to do. And this group of people caught on. And before I knew it, like, we grew and grew and grew. And more and more people just caught on to what we were doing. That's and awesome. it just sort of became... You know, it, it became a thing. And That's amazing. It became a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not for nothing, but you've walked that walk. Yeah. You've talked that talk. Obviously, you saw a need and you filled that void, so to speak. And I think it's a great way to not only give back to the community, but also to raise awareness and at, at the very least to help somebody who's truly in need and may not even know like that there are other options for them because it's not necessarily just about giving out socks or care right. bags or which are amazing you know, things a, a meal Absolutely. again a, we all need those yes. you know what i'm saying but like you were had almost well you had just said something about empathy yeah. like mm -hmm. sometimes these people just need to talk to somebody and feel like a human fucking being for 5 minutes uh, the word you're looking for is they just want a connection Yes, yeah. thank you. People, you know, I do it because of the connections, and I love those connections. I love to see somebody's face light up, or I like to see somebody's face get mad if I tell them the brutal, honest truth, you know? Or mm -hmm. what is, I don't understand why truth has to be brutal. It's, you know, the honest truth, you know? Brutal is just sort of a little bit carried away there. That's like, you know, but, um, you know, it's those connections you make with people, and that's really hard to do in today's society. Because mm -hmm. technology and everything yeah. has built walls up. These people don't have that. You know, these are people who have basically no shoes on their feet, let alone any way to communicate unless you stop and you talk to them. Right. And I often tell people, you know, they always say, well, I want to help. What could I do? You know, well, walk by somebody and smile. Say hello to them. You know, it's amazing how people who are experiencing homelessness or you know, suffering from substance use disorder feel invisible because everybody just ignores them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people always say, I don't know how to help. Smile. Be be yeah. a person. Be, you know, be human. Be respectful. Yeah. You know? And that's hard to do, Maggie. It people is. Are, that's so hard for people to do. It is. You know, so, you know, we, we teach that. We show that. You know, it for me, it's, you know, I always say it's in a way it's sort of selfish because I do it for me because it helps heal me it helps you know me to continue to heal and it helps me to continue to walk that straight line and and realize that you know at any given point in time i could cross over that line and go back yeah yeah you know but by connecting with others and by giving to others and by helping others i'm you know it, it helps me heal that's awesome i i know personally i always felt that recovery wasn't an option, feeling at peace wasn't an option, all those things weren't an option for me. So I know for me, it's so important or like it burns inside of me to want people to know like, 
it is actually possible. You know, like there is another way. Trust me, if I can get it, you can because I was sick, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm an alcoholic, so I was worse than you. You know, right? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Because it's all about me. Like, Absolutely. My, my disease was much worse than yours. Always. So, you know. Always. <laughs> so if it's possible, I never believed it was possible. So like you talking to people, giving them hope, giving them possibilities is just so incredible. I think it is. It's literally life changing. Yeah. It you is. Know? Well, and it's a support too because you know, I you know I've been there. I understand it. You know, but it's cool because the, the, my team at Philly Unknown, you know, some of them have are in recovery. Some of them are not. So it's cool to see this 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 dichotomy of all these different people who come together just to connect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the connections run deep, you know. And the sharing really of ideas and talk about change of perspective. There we go. Those people that are working there, you know, and I'm, I'm a sober person. I was alcoholic though never drugs chris makes fun of me blah 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 <laughs> but anyway i work at a university so i'm off in the summers and you know we don't live that life where it's okay to only get paid nine months a year so i always pick up summer work and the one summer as my give back job after being sober for a year i went and worked as a nurse in a drug and alcohol rehab and it was a drug and alcohol rehab that took mostly state insurance Mm -hmm. and it was Kensington there and I loved every second of it I treated these people the same way I treated everyone else which I thought was the greatest gift I could give them but my perspective changed I learned so much in that year that I worked there because again never a drug addict but what I thought about what opiate addicts were what I thought about Maintenance, what I thought mm. about all these things changed completely because I was immersed in it, you know, every day. And so just to be able to have that opportunity to educate the normals out there is huge. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's funny because, you know, you talked about the maintenance and people don't look at that nowadays. I mean, I, I, I'm one person. I, I'm the first to say to you, you know, you do the recovery your way. Yep. I'm going to do recovery my way. Don't fuck with me about it either because who are you to tell me how to do my recovery? If I'm not hurting anybody else or myself, we're good. And And if I'm still alive. And I'm still alive and I'm working a program or, you know, whatever the program may be. But, I, you know, I look at that and I always tell people that, like, maintenance is a huge part of recovery nowadays. It is. Because what's the difference if you're taking a, a, a maintenance medication for, you know, a substance use disorder or you're taking something for mental health? Right. Those are still affecting so yeah you know and i I, it's you know getting people to understand that huge you know and the the stigma behind it all it's a huge stigma we fight stigma every day stigma even still i walked in there with stigma i am telling you i walked in there saying it's replacing one for another and i walked out saying a much different thing a year later you know yeah it's it's it's, so that educational piece you know and again i i don't i don't always know what where what my full opinion is on it or whatever but mm-hmm. just opening my mind to there's other options out there is huge and i think that's part of what you're doing too and, just and by it is speaking to people and plus you know there's there's people out there that are so sheltered yeah. uh, or they're in their own little bubble mm-hmm. and they don't really realize that somebody three blocks away from them is living a totally different life yeah you know than they are or they're a different world or person next door may be living a different life and I think it's really important for people to to drop those barriers a little bit and drop a guard a little bit and to connect and to be able to to learn about somebody else and not balk at it. 
You know, it's 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 like you know the, they talk about cannabis being, you know, utilized in harm reduction nowadays, and for people getting, you know, how do you, how do you balk at something that if you if you didn't personally experience it, and if it's working for somebody else, good for them. Yeah. You know, so I look at all that stuff. I you know I try to open my mind to that. I try to be very open and understanding. And you know, once again, who am I to tell somebody how to do their recovery? No, absolutely. Yeah. And we've mentioned this on the show before. Almost 100,000 people in 2020 overdosed, be it on legal, illegal, alcohol, whatever it was. 100,000 people died. I don't give a shit if your maintenance program or your spiritual program is a French fry. Like, it's not up to you to judge or you or anybody else. 100,000 people died. And there needs to be a better solution. So whether that's, you know, cannabis or methadone or suboxone, whatever it is, we cannot literally sustain this path that we're traveling right. on, you know? It's it's not practical. Not, no. not, not nowadays. I mean, because everybody talks about it. Everybody says, you know, it's the opiate well, crisis. It's not a crisis. It's an overdose crisis nowadays. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's gone from opiate to overdose because we're not worried about the drugs now. We're worried about people staying alive. Yep. You know, it's keeping people alive. And that goes to for people that are, you know, for, for alcoholics as well. I mean, people don't realize, like, there's that fine line there, too. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so Alcoholics just prefer the slow, painful death. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and I, the social part of it. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, it's acceptable totally, to go yeah. to the bar and have a couple of drinks. Right. 100%. It's, it's not acceptable to go to the bar and, like, shoot up. Actually, I think speaking to the perspective point. Uh-huh. What do you say, and again, this isn't coming from me. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate, right? The Philly Unknown Project, Mm -hmm. you know, hands out basically vital supplies Mm -hmm. to people that are in need. And it's a laundry list of supplies, and we don't necessarily need to, you know, beat that or, or talk about that, you know, at length. But there are, without question, a ton of people out there that are like, well, you're just enabling these people to continue to be homeless to continue to be a drug addict, to continue to sell their bodies to get drugs. What's the what's the counter argument to that? I'm not enabling them to do anything. I'm enabling them to live one more day. I'm giving them the resources that they need to survive. What they do above and beyond that has nothing to do with what I'm giving to them because they're going to do what they're going to do regardless if I hand them a compassion bag or not. Yeah. Right. You know, the compassion bag is just showing that somebody cares is showing them that there's a clean pair of socks there for them. There's a toothbrush there for them. There's some water to hydrate. There's a few other supplies in there, whether it's a granola bar to keep them alive. Because once again, what I'm enabling is I'm enabling them or giving their families a chance to possibly see them again. You know, and I think people take that away because people tend to forget that just because somebody is suffering from a disorder such as opiate use disorder or if it's alcoholism or whatever yeah. it may be, there's somebody, somebody, that's somebody's brother, sister, cousin, yeah, father, mother. Yeah, yeah, they belong to somebody. Mm-hmm. And people forget that too. They they take that away from people. They take away from them the human side of it. And we have to humanize the fact that, you know, people who use drugs, people who drink, they are people too. Yeah. Absolutely. They are no less than, you know, the people who can socially do whatever they do. I mean, what makes that better? Yeah. And you Mm -hmm. can't get recovery if you're dead. So, I I mean, I think that's another thing to say, right? Like 
the if you give someone another day, even if it's with hydration, yep. so, whatever, then you gave them another chance at recovery. Absolutely. Because if they're dead, it's done. You know, everyone has that. Everyone has the chance for the miracle. I say that all the time. And so, you know. I like to look at it like, you know, when you're when you're stuck. Yeah. I mean, the diseases that we have and when you're stuck in and I hate to use that word, but when you are stuck in that cycle of using whatever yeah. it is you're using, you do it because you feel like nobody cares, too, Yeah. because you have no connection to yeah. somebody. So yep. to to have a total stranger hand you a, a compassion bag full of things that are going to make your day. You never know what that could do to somebody or yeah. for somebody. You know, I have parents that reach out to me because they've seen the documentaries that I've been in. And can you help me find my son? Can you help me with mm-hmm. this? Can you help me with that? As early, you know, as uh, even as um, recent as today, one of the guys that's seen the documentary that I never met face to face, but I've been helping him through his whole process of trying to stay in recovery, you know, reached out to me today, like, I'm in trouble, what can I do? And I'm like, well, next time you can think about longer than 30 days, you know, and things that, you know, just becoming brutally honest with them, because Mm -hmm. they need that, people need that, and they need that, once again, connection. So, you know, I'm not providing them anything other than hope. I like that. And sometimes it's, again, that's all you need. Yeah. Hey, at the end of the day, hope is all you have. I mean, seriously, I mean, what else do we really rely upon you just hope that the next day comes around and it's a little bit better than the day before and what are what are the plans for the organization in the future like you had touched on there's the community garden Mm -hmm. what is your next big project if you're willing to share that or what are just some normal everyday things that you're working on well you know we uh we work closely with other organizations we do outreaches with them I partner with different organizations because I feel, you know, there is no I in any of this. Once again, it's, you know, there it, it's a we, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. So the organizations that are out there as an I, you know, it's like, okay, well, screw you because it's not about you. It's about all of us together. So right. I work with other organizations, do outreaches. We're doing a walk coming up, a sober walk coming up that, you know, details on that will be released in December. I'm doing with two other organizations. And the details can be found at phillyunknownproject.org. .org. I like it. Yep, or Facebook at Philly Unknown. Um, you know, because we're, we're, you know, we're looking at the fact that there's all these different events that are geared around, you know, uh, drinking and, you know, mm-hmm. partying. The bar crawl. Well, that's why I'm thinking to myself, let's do a sober walk. Yeah. You are a genius. I hope so. I hope. <laughs> and I'm going to patent that so anybody who takes it, you're screwed. That's um, right. <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact, edit this part right out, you know? <laughs> done. Done. I don't want anybody stealing this shit um, because nobody's <laughs> ever done this before, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we want to be able to just uh, continue to provide for the community, continue to provide for those who really need the help. You know, I think what happens is People look at, you know, let's go out to the streets and let's work with everybody in the streets and let's, you know, because that's where the help is needed. But what about after their 30 days in treatment yeah. and their 60 days in treatment? They need help. Yeah. They need somebody who's going to be there for them then. And that's what I want to be make sure I do. The The transitional aspect is always where people get lost. That's where I a agree. lot of relapses happen. Yeah. yeah. Nobody monitors that transitional aspect. Nobody helps you to write a resume or to integrate you back into, you know, society where you're going to feel okay, that it's okay to not be okay. And, you know, to remember mm. that. And 
So we'd like to really just, you know, peel those layers back and work with people on that level as well, because that's where people, that's where we get lost. That's why the system is so broken. And it is a very broken system. I mean, I honestly think that a lot of places just set people up, set people up to relapse for failure. Well, no, I mean, we could, if you'd like to travel this road, we certainly can. But I I have said (laughs) on a number of occasions to Megan, the system is not set up to be a one and done. Because if the system were set up, and I'm speaking specifically to treatment centers, if you get $1,500 a day or because I suck at math. Let's do $1,000 a day. So one person, $1,000 a day, 30 days in treatment. If you never see them again, what's the point? You know what I'm saying? It's it's a non-sustainable business. And while that's unfortunate, the system literally is set up for repeat customers. And unfortunately, in today's climate, there are a ton of repeat customers if you're lucky enough to get there, right? Yeah. And I think, too, what we always talk about, like the one thing when you talk about, you know, even maintenance and all this kind of stuff, the one thing that shows long term success is long term treatment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's not 28 days. That's a long time. And it's funny because I'm going to pull this up right now because the person who texted me today, I said to them uh, and I highly encourage 60 or more days. Absolutely. And he was like. You're right. 30 is never enough. And I'm always still shaky. So he recognizes it. And this is somebody who's going into treatment now for his fifth time. And the last time that he did, he had overdosed and ended up losing his leg due to some things. So, you know, he's still not learning, but he is understanding and he knows that the system is broken to the level where after 30 days, they're like, hey, see you soon. Yeah. Yep. This is. This isn't goodbye. This is just the end. If you want to set somebody up for success, follow through with them after those 30 days. Right. Don't just call and say, hey, you want to come to our bowling party? Right. You know, it's not about that. It's about stitching them into their sobriety. It's about stitching them into life. So if that means that treatment needs to extend past 30 days, have 30 days of learning how to deal with yourself and then another 30 days of learning how to deal with society, I think that's perfect. Absolutely. But that's in a perfect world and the system's broken and insurances only do so much. And sure. the state of Pennsylvania insurance sucks. Yep. Yeah. You know, so, but yeah, that's my that's that's my thought on the treatment system. I like it. I agree. It, here's the thing, right? If you have, if you're diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, mm-hmm and you get chemo or radiation or whatever, and you are quote unquote cured, mm-hmm. you're still going to have a follow-up appointment in six months, mm-hmm. in a Great. year after we that. We follow you for every three months, mm-hmm. yeah. So, all right, so three months, it and is then three. six yep. months, yep. and then nine months. Yeah. They don't invite you to their for next years. fundraising no. event. No. No. They want to make sure that you are not only alive, but thriving, and if you need any other resources to get yourself to that next level. Support. So. Why the fuck support? Why the fuck is a substance use disorder different? If you had Jeff Bezos money, what would you do with it? Oh, jeez. Besides um, buy the phillyunknownproject.org yacht. A new van? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a new van. A van? Fuck a van. You get a yacht. I wouldn't even know what to do with that much money because that's just a ton of money. However, like, I definitely, you know, I know it sounds like one of those 
you know, pageant sort of answers that, oh, I would give it back. and yeah. But I would. I would probably give a lot back. I would probably keep a lot for myself because, hey, yeah. you know, I earned it. It's my money. Sure. But um, I would definitely give back because I just see there's so many opportunities. I mean, there's so many opportunities out there that kids need, that, you know, adults need, that anybody needs. And that's the problem. There's, there's, there's not enough people who are willing to give back. Right. You know, everybody and everybody wants to do it with a, a stipulation or a condition. Yeah. Mm. You know, and I would do it unconditionally. And oh, that's, right. you know, and, and that's really something. I know it's like sounds tacky or like a corny answer, but yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a simple guy. I mean, I love to travel. I love the finer things in my life, you know, and that, that I dictate what's finer, you know. I own a, I only have, I have a Hyundai Tucson, but it's paid off, and I love that fact about it, you oh, know. Hell yeah. It's paid off, you know. So, exactly. So, you know, keep it simple for me, and, you know, that's a lot of money. I think I'd actually probably be miserable. I'd probably be full-blown drug addict again yeah you know active drug addict yeah yeah for me yeah you can you get out of that box wine you'd have like bottles then (laughs) (laughs) i know i I, yeah exactly i'd be like oh is that a lambrusco exactly (laughs) real uppity bitch sick organic organic box wine oh come on (laughs) you're unbelievable really that was for a quantity aspect You Certainly. know what I mean? Does Certainly. that make sense? You buy one bottle, you buy one box, still both one serving. You know what I'm saying? You're Whole a fucking box, alcoholic. One serving, exactly. My God, that's the issue. Typical addict tendencies talking there. Yeah, <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> Tried to sell us on that, we weren't having it. No. No. I'm like, I'm calling you on that uh, yeah, bullshit exactly. right now. All right. Take your bullshit to somebody who'll believe it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, and that's why this works, because we never do. <laughs> <laughs> we call each other out on a daily basis. Well, that's right. I, I got to be honest. I don't I don't know how you do it, because I don't think I could ever be in a, a, a well, once again, committed relationship to begin with, but a committed relationship with somebody who was also sober, um, because I really think I need that balance. So, I mean, this is amazing to see this, to see the way you – you you play off each other. I mean, not every day is roses in everybody's life, you know. No. There's 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 a lot of thorns and there's a lot of you know eggshells you're walking on, but you learn and that's awesome. I mean, it, I could tell it's sincere. You know, you could usually tell when there's bullshit, and this is not bullshit. So no, it works. Is... You guys work. Yeah, it's a good we thing. Do. We love each other very much. I think when it comes to, as Chris had said to me at one point, um, I knew being with someone that was sober was my only option. Even like, you know, when we're out to dinner with your family, her mom will drink like two martinis and then switch to club soda. And I get super pissed. I'm like, how the fuck do you do that? (laughs) She's a unicorn. We've talked about this. She is. But like, I I could never do this with anybody else. Not Uh, not even a a normie occasional drinker. Like, it just wouldn't work for me. You know where my sick mind gets me? Because I feel the same way, but for different reasons. Hmm. If you were normal... Mm. I would, and like I'm in a good place now with my sobriety, but you know I was, you know, teetering when we met. I, if I would have gotten in a serious relationship with someone that was normal at that time, I would have a hundred percent convinced you it was okay to let me drink. You know what I mean? I totally would have. And I am an imi- manipulative bitch. I want what I want, and I'm very tempting when I want to be. I. The reason I fell in love with Chris is because he was not going to take any bullshit. And I needed that at that time. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, you're still here, and that's, you know, it is so you what still it need is. It. Yeah, I do still need it, 100%. Well, we all do. Absolutely. I know that if I'm in a weak moment in my life, He's not letting it go down. He's going to call. And not nicely. It's not like he's going to rub my back and say, honey, I love you. I support you. He's going to call me on that shit where it matters and it hurts. And that's where it works because, you know, we need we need that. We need that honesty with each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it's funny because if, if in a relationship, you know, for me and Normie, that's fine if they're drinking because, yeah. you know, for me, like everybody always said, well, you know, you don't drink. Well, why don't you drink anymore? Well. You know, once you start doing heroin, who the hell wants to drink? Yeah. You know, it's sort of a waste of that money, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's like, come on, why, why do it, you know? So, and it's funny because people always say, like, well, I'm like, I don't mean I want to be with somebody who's going to be, you know, injecting. I don't mean right. that. But if, right. the, if the person's going to, you know, have some drinks or, you know, I don't even care if the person wants to indulge in cannabis, that's cool. Right. You know, because that's not my issue either, you know. Yeah. But if they're going to start blowing lines, then that's an issue to me. Yeah. Yep. You know, I've got to look at that balance. But I mean... I can't, I'm not going to hold it against that person because I, I think that's going to help, you know, me because it's my willpower then. It's, you know, yeah. I, maybe it's just, I like to test myself. I like to fuck with myself that way. Right. We're I all love testing myself. Absolutely. You know, you know, I could do this, but you know, I'm okay with that. Like yeah, I, like I awesome. said, you know, my friends, we go out, out for dinner the other night for my birthday. They all had a drink. I did not. I had my ginger ale, of course. And yeah. that didn't bother me. Not one bit. You know, and I, yeah. I think once again, it's that your mind perspective, your own perspective. Totally. Mm-hmm. So. Agreed. Yeah. All right. What else you got, honey? Yeah. What do you got? What's the immediate needs for the organization? Like, what are your yeah. five, Top 10, items right now. Yep. 50 items that you guys need, like, right now? Outside of massive donations to Philly Unknown Project. Project. Dot org. Dot org. Uh, it's I, I. You asked that question, and it's it sort of just like shot me in the heart right now because there was an inside job somewhere, not through our organization, but through the place that we're renting, um, and they wiped us out of every single thing that we had for our nonprofit. Are you fucking kidding me? Thousands of dollars of items and supplies. Oh. Um, over like I, I have an initiative that's called Philly on its feet, and we have sneakers donated to us. And I've been collecting yeah. sneakers from places from the Boston Marathon to, sure. you know, New York Marathon that people send to me, all stolen. Everything's uh. stolen. Mm. So right now the immediate need that we have is um, we need a lot of winter supplies yeah. as far as blankets and coats, gloves, hats, scarves, tons of those because um, that's a necessity right now just for survival. And, and, you know, I think people need to know that we just don't distribute, like I said, on the streets, we will distribute it to the neighbors as well. Yeah. Right. To people who are, are needing, like when I get like bulk stuff, like a food, I'll go over and I'll put a care package at the doors of the neighbors oh, by the garden. I love that. You know, last year when, you know, when the quote unquote riots hit, you know, Kensington, yeah. you know, we went out in full force and put plants on everybody's doorstep to brighten it up, you know? So, I mean, we need uh, winter supplies. We need um, food supplies such as uh, non-perishable items like granola bars, potato yeah. chips, you know, snacks along those lines. Um, we're always looking for, um, honestly, some uh, uh, the, the biggest thing that we could use are people's hands, hands-on work, people yeah. to come out and be part of the organization and volunteer because that's something that – that's something people are afraid to do sometimes. People are – they don't know how to do it, and we would love to have those people come out with us and – we could show them and we could work together and 
you know, they can maybe take it back to their communities too then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, we definitely need volunteers. We need to, bodies is so important. Um, and, you know, other than that, it's, you know, it's just the word. I mean, I always tell people, I don't really need you to donate. I prefer you to maybe share my post, like yep. my post. It helps, you know, people to see it. You know, it helps people to catch on. It helps to spread the word. You know, and so that's really what we need. We need we need people to be engaged. We need people involved. You know, um, right now though, with the winter coming, we need a lot of winter resources. Okay, a lot of them. That's and fair. They can yeah. be new, lightly used. All absolutely. that's okay. Okay. Yep, absolutely. You know, it, it. People always say, "Oh, but you know, this isn't this this isn't new." Well, it's better than what people have out absolutely. there on the streets now. Yeah. You know, um, it's better than going to the landfill. Oh my gosh. You know, why throw it out? Huge firm believer that don't things should not repurpose what we can. Yes. yes. Repurpose what we can. That's the community garden. Like we are repurposing things over there like crazy. But you know, um, you know, we do need that. We need um, you know, and, and I think what people have to understand too is they don't have to donate to fill the unknown to pay it forward. They could do it on their own. Yeah. During the winter time, take a pair of gloves out, take a hat out, take a scarf out. Take a bottle of water. When you walk by that person on the street with a sign, hand it to them. You don't have to really engage with the conversation either. Hand it to them. Look at the smile on their face. See how their face lights up. But give that to somebody too. You don't need to put a a whole bag together of clothing or, you know, donate hundreds of dollars. You can make it real simple and you could, you know, sort of do it yourself. And people don't realize that. And I always encourage people to do it themselves. I love that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you drive and you drive by the exits, and you always see somebody at an exit with a sign saying, "Yeah, could, of course." Here you go, hand it to them out your window. Right. You know, there. I always tell people when they come out and they put together compassion bags with us. I always say, "Take five with you," and you see people hand it to them. They're like, "Oh, I never thought of that." Yeah. Like that's you know? the whole purpose of exactly. this, right? Yeah. It's, it's awesome. the whole purpose. At the end of the day, you know, we just want to make sure people are surviving. That's it. Are there certain nights that you do? Like the the outreach bags or if somebody has some time like next Thursday or something like that, how do they get in touch with you and say, I want to offer my services or my husband and I are going to be down in the city. We're going to have dinner. We want to meet you. We want to help people. We want to give back in a non-monetary way. Every Saturday morning, we're over in um, Kensington at the Garden, Mm -hmm. at the Roo Street Garden. Our hub of operations is right next door, but we're moving that now because we have to. Um, but we're there every Saturday morning for, from like 9.30 till 1. And we're doing different things, whether it's working in the garden or we're, we have what we call the fence of hope and we hang up compassion bags there with shirts and jackets and then we'll connect with people as they walk by. Mm. Um, so that way it's sort of like, it, it's a, it becomes a community function as they're walking by. Right. Um, but they can come there every Wednesday night. We're at Love Park over in the city. Mm-hmm. However, right now at Christmas Village, we're moving over to the Municipal Services Building. But every Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Love Park. It's myself, the Everywhere Project, and uh, Human First, which is uh, St. Miriam's. We are we all partner together, and we feed them hot food. And we feed those that are in need. And it doesn't even, you know, it's funny. We don't ask people what where they're coming from. I don't care if yeah. they're wearing their Sunday best. They can get in line and get food. Sure. You know, That's it's for amazing. everybody. It, it, it's for everybody, you know? Yeah. It really is. And, you know, college students walk by, we offer it to them because, let's face it, they're they in need. They food, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, they'll be like, what do you got? But yes. um, every Wednesday night at Love Park, they can come by. Thursdays, I'm over in Kensington at McPherson Square um, uh, on Thursday nights, so usually every other Thursday. But... If people just reach out on phillyunknownproject.org or to 
um, through Facebook. They'll be able to see where I'm at or ask me and I'll tell them. Awesome. And that was actually my follow-up question. So if there's anything that we haven't necessarily touched on tonight, and I believe we've run you know, the gamut of topics this evening, right? Any information that they can look up or if they want to get in touch with you or a member of the organization, that's all through phillyunknownproject.org. Right, right on there, there's a contact form they can fill out, they can send. Um, People still, they'll go through the uh, Facebook page or the Instagram page, just be patient because there's not a ton of us responding to the emails. Um, But I always tell people the best way to do it is just email or show up. And, and a lot of people will, you know, and and it, it just makes for a, a sense of belonging, too, when people show up like that. But, yeah, right. people, phillyunknownproject.org is the best way to get in touch with us. It's all about community. Absolutely. It's awesome. You got yeah. anything else, Boo? I'm good. I'm just so grateful for tonight. This was really amazing. No, it was uh, absolutely amazing. What about you, Boo? You got anything else? I Oh, my gosh. I Woof. No. I, uh, this was amazing. This was exactly what I needed, you know. I was looking forward to this, personally, just so you know. Like, oh. I usually oh. wouldn't be looking forward to coming out this late at night. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Especially with daylight savings, like I said. But, and he like, didn't even know about the boobs, and he still wanted to come. No, yeah. You <laughs> kidding? That was that was a bonus to have the boobs right behind my head. Sure is. Not even noticing. And that was, like, just me being a smartass saying, did you frame it? Yeah. <laughs> yep. But, no, I mean, this is great. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate the support. And this connection has been amazing. Yeah, we appreciate really you is, and yeah. everything you're doing out there. Thank it's you. really incredible. Yeah, we're, we're extremely happy that we had you on. Yeah, we learned a lot, and we'll be there. No, absolutely. 100%. I actually can't wait. That'd be great. And and I'm dead serious about that. Yeah, me too. Uh, we are, and I, when I say we, I mean you, Britt, and you, Megan, mm-hmm. and everybody in our families and our immediate circles are fortunate enough to not be in the position that we are receiving the bag instead mm-hmm. of giving the bag. Right. So it is time to give back. Yeah, definitely. You know? and, and again, if you don't have cash to give or uh, granola bars or jackets or whatever, give your time. Yep. Yeah. Or give a smile. Yeah. Give a smile. Give a smile. That. That you could do it in your everyday life. Exactly. Thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. you. This right. is awesome. Absolutely. All right, darling. All right. Say good night, darling. Good night. I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. Say good night, Britt. I'm Britt, and I'm an addict. I'm Chris, and I'm an alcoholic. Cut off your pet's privates, and remember, if you're struggling in any way, put your hand up, reach out, ask for help. So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com.